Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. Can we thank these guys for leading us in worship? I know Serena Jongo, that is like, I can only imagine Serena loves that song. So I thought about you all week, Serena, when I saw the set list. And Shay Shay singing that song. They were at uh, the, the Andrews house for a worship rehearsal this week. And uh, Nicole told Shay, she said, you kind of sound like Trisha Yearwood. And I don't know if Shay took that as a compliment, but it was. And the funny thing is you can take the girl out of Southeast Texas but you can't take the Southeast Texas out of the girl. So thank y'all so much for leading us. And especially if you're new this morning, uh, welcome and thank you for being here at The Vessel. Um, I know that as a guest, it is hard to walk into a room that you don't know and to get engaged and to engage with the Lord in a new environment and new place. So thank y'all so much for being here. And if you're joining us through church at home, thank you for being here as well. And I actually know like as a pastor, that's a feeling that, it, I don't get the privilege of feeling all the time what it's like to be new and what it's like to walk into a new place and how that feels. But I actually experienced that yesterday. So, um, and I will tell you, it was super awkward. I was, I went to a new church. Not that I'm like, you know, I went to visit a church. Sloan and I were at a coffee shop um, yesterday afternoon, uh, late. And as we were leaving, there were some signs for a church that was meeting on Saturday nights. And so I told her, I was like, babe, you want to go? She's 10. And so she read Harry Potter and I read my Bible and worked on the message. And so I was like, hey, do you want to go to this church and go to worship? And she said, sure. So I looked him up real quick on my phone and we went in and I did not look closely enough because uh, we got there at five and their service didn't start till 530. So if you want an extra measure of like uncomfortable awkwardness, getting there super early, we're like, oh, we're the only ones here. And we walk up and like five o'clock hits and they're still not going. And then they start praying. And I'm like, let me look again. I was like, oh, it's 530 they start. And so I know that uh, how that feels. So I just want to say, if you're new here, I don't care how long you've been going to church. Thank you for coming. Thank you for joining us. It's easier online because you can be super incognito. So thank you all for being here this morning. And if you are new or if you've been visiting Vessel the last several weeks, this is a perfect time because we've been talking about our vision as a church and what God has called us to do. And so as a recap of that, uh, we, we kind of introduced at the beginning of 2021 our vision for a church and what God is calling us to do. This is the doing part of who we're called to be as the vessel. So we are called to pursue an inward relationship with one another. We talked about that for two weeks. We talked about why it's so important biblically, and especially in the New Testament, why we're called into relationship with one another. And over a hundred times in scripture, uh, in the New Testament, the Lord talks about why our, our one another relationship is so important, that we're to love one another that we're to be patient with one another, that we're to bear one another's burdens, that we're to forgive one another, that we're to accept one another, that we're to do these things and be in this intentional relationship with one another. And not only uh, are we called to chase Jesus and to follow Christ together, but because of the way that we love one another, 
that it brings glory to God. And that's how we're to be known. And so we talked what that looks like. And so uh, the last two week, uh, last week and this week, we've began talking about upward, what it means to have an upward relationship with God. So if you were here last week, we talked about um, King David and how he was our kind of prototypical example of what it looks like to have relationship with God and why David, despite being an adulterer, despite being a killer of giants, despite being a little brother, despite being a king over all of these people, that what he was known for was he was known as a man after God's own heart. That's what God identified. Not what he did right or did wrong, not his transgressions, not his skills of playing the harp, but he was known as a man after God's own heart. And how our calling as a church is that God is calling us to be known as a church who is a church after God's own heart and what upward ministry looks like. And then next two weeks after this Sunday, we're gonna be talking about what it means to have an outward relationship with the world. That the reason, if you call yourself a Christ follower, the reason that you are breathing and a beating heart and flesh on this earth is because you have a purpose. And the reason that we're not beamed up on the moment of salvation is because God has a purpose for us. And not just us individually, but collectively as a body together that we have purpose. And so that is our vision statement. And I'll recap though, the, why that's important to know is that we have a mission statement at church. And this may seem like uh, splitting hairs, but it's really important. So our mission here at the vessel is that we are called to be vessels of the living Christ set apart for his purpose in his kingdom. And that is a biblical calling on every Christ follower. That is 2 Timothy 2.21 is what it means to be a vessel emptied, but set apart as holy and useful for God. And that is our calling as a church. And that's our mission. That's the who we are. And then we talked about our four core values. And these are these guiding principles for us is that they are the guardrails with which we um, hold tight to. They are the coordinates that we chart our course after. And so what are those four core values? authenticity, boom, you're in a gym. That's perfect. We are authentic bunch. God calls us into authentic relationship with one another, not to be these Christians that have it all together, that everything's right, and it is always well with my soul, but to be authentic followers of Jesus Christ. To not be, to, to what? Unity. Thank you, Big Martin. Unity is our second one. It means that we're called into relationship together. It goes back to that one anotherness is that we're to be unified as the body. And that goes beyond the walls and the building and the body of the vessel. That goes within the Lord's church around the world. We've got, we've got missionaries that are in countries that aren't allowed to be spoken on Facebook because they're dangerous. We've got missionaries that are in Nepal. We've got ministries that we partner with. I'm super excited to talk about all that stuff in the next couple of weeks. But we're to be unified in the name of Jesus Christ and a part of the body. What else? We got authenticity, unity, generosity, right, Trevor? Amen. And don't worry, that doesn't mean you just give of your money. It means that you're generous with your life, with the way you live, with relationship, that we live generously. And the last but not least, humility. Thank you, Kay, humility. And that is the most 
that's the hardest and most unobtainable one because by claiming unity is a core value, it disqualifies you from, I mean, hum, humility. By claiming humility is a core value, you're now disqualified from being humble. But we're not saying that we are the most humble bunch. It's just that we hold that value in the highest regards. And then if those things are the guardrails, then the vision of who we are is the what we do. It's how we live our lives, what we're called to do as a body. And so this morning, we're gonna continue the conversation of what it looks like to be an upward relationship with God. And so and we're gonna look in scripture about uh, kind of some imagery of what that looks like. But, but I wanna look a little bit like more tactically, which I'm not so good at. But what that means uh, when we talk about upward relation with God, it is what happens in this room on Sunday mornings. It is Jessica's, focus and job and my focus and job. I want you to know Jessica as our worship leader and I meet every week and we talk about upward ministry and, and, and to come into this room to, to our load in and load out team to set these chairs out and however long 12 feet of pipe and drape for them to get here early for our worship team to prepare and for, for a message to come is that our focus is how do we enable upward relationship with God as a body together. And so those things that we do, and when we think about upward ministry, we think about Sunday morning, that we as a body. And so we're gonna look at some imagery that's in scripture um, and why it's important and what does it look like for us to be um, in upper relationship with the Lord. And so there's imagery in scripture. If you've ever read the Bible before, there's, there's, there's symbolism and there's things that, are, um, that help us get a deeper understanding of who the Lord is. Jesus taught in parables, right? And a parable is not a story of what actually happened, but it's a, it's a, it's a story that helps give you deeper understanding into, and, and when Jesus taught in parables, it's a deeper understanding of who he was and what his heart was. Right? There, there's imagery in scripture that we've talked about about being a flock and being sheep and how you go back, speaking of King David, all the way to Revelation 19, which we're gonna talk about the lamb that was slain. Why this image of being a flock and the, the image of a shepherd, the, 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 even the term pastor and the gifting of being a shepherd, why that image is so important in scripture. Why Jesus says that he is the good shepherd and that he will call the sheep, and the sheep will follow him because they know his voice, and that the good shepherd lays his life down for the flock, and why the idea of the image of being a shepherd and sheep is really important. One of my favorite imagery in all of scripture is living water. Um, it, it comes, again, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, this idea. It's, it's this image and this thread throughout scripture. Ezekiel 47, have you ever read Ezekiel 47? That is like my favorite second favorite chapter in the Bible behind Luke 15. So, uh, but it talks about what it means for the water to be a trees planted beside streams of living water. But this morning, what we're gonna talk about in this image that's consistent through scripture, which gives us the best picture of how the Lord sees his relationship with us is, is what it means to be the bride of Christ what it means to be the bride of Christ. And as we, before we jump in, I wanna give you a little bit of context of what, why this idea of this relationship between the bridegroom and the bride is so important and is so biblical and why there's lots of images in scripture about the body of Christ and his church. He talks about it being a physical body. He talks about it being a flock of sheep. But ultimately the one example that is most consistent 
through scripture and gives the best picture of what it looks like to have an upper relationship with Jesus is the groom and his bride. And why the Lord, as he looks down on us, he sees us as his bride. And, and what it looks like for us to have a relationship of a bride and groom with the Lord. And I know that that's strange. Like there's pieces of that that are weird. Like Shay and I, we've been talking about this the last couple of weeks. We will talk about something like, that's weird. That's kind of a strange thought and idea. And so um, we're going we're gonna to push through that and try to look biblically what that means. And so scripture, when we think about our relationship as a groom and a bride today, many of us are married in this room, have been a bride, have been a groom, um, know some sort of context of what that looks like. But biblically, it's a little bit different, but it's not as far off as you would think. And so one good example is you look at Mary and Joseph. And the story that a lot of us know is that one important thing to, to understand is there are three parts to a process of being married. There's engagement, there's betrothal, and there's marriage. And so we think that betrothal and engagement are, are one and the same, but biblically, in a Jewish context, in a biblical context, those, those two things are different seasons. That um, the, the engagement period is a, a bride is chosen for a groom. It's typically a wedding that's been set up. And then later on, when they, when they get to the place of being married, they, they enter into a betrothal season where they're betrothed to be married. And that is a legal binding obligation. That's why Joseph was betrothed to be married to Mary, but whenever he was going to leave her, he would have to divorce her. It said he was going to leave and divorce her in the night, not to bring shame to her. It's because they're legally married at that point, even though that betrothal season, they haven't entered into a traditional husband and wife. And that betrothal season is anywhere from six months to a year. And then the wedding happens and there's this processional and it's not necessarily a date. They don't send out save the date invitations and, and have it all planned. But a time and a season comes when the groom is ready. He leaves his father's house. He goes and he takes his bride and he brings his bride home. And so when we talk about upper ministry, that's what Jess and I talk about a lot in here on Sundays. Is that basically what we're doing and we, I, I always think about it like we're setting the table for a husband and a wife to be together. And it's like if you went to a nice restaurant and, and it's prepared and you lay the tablecloth out and you light the candles and you get prepared so that the bride and the groom can be together. It's this beautiful picture. Does anyone like Joe's Crab Shack? Anyone? I hate Joe's Crab Shack. I hate Joe's Crab Shack. So if you like Joe's Crab Shack, there's something wrong with you because they want to entertain you. They want you to dance or put on a hat. And it's terrible. No bride and groom goes to Joe's Crab Shack. Why? Because it's not about their relationship. It's about the entertainment and bad fried shrimp and all the things that Joe Crab If anyone in here is like, like they work at Joe's Crab Shack, I'm super sorry. I think Shay and I have a Joe's Crab Shack gift card that we've had forever. Anyways, um, so Dustin, we'll bring it to you. But what you do when you're married and you're engaged and you go to a nice restaurant, and the best waiters are the ones that it's like they're not even there. They're serving you. And what they're doing is they're enabling relationship. They're, they're enabling intimacy between the bride and his groom for them to be able to connect, to talk, to be together. And that's what this is on Sunday mornings. 
is that we do what we can to enable relationship between the bride and his groom. So our scripture is gonna be out of Revelation 19. And I'm gonna ask you if, you're, if you can to stand and I'm gonna read through this scripture and I'm gonna pray. So if you would stand real quick, Revelation 19, if you're looking it up in scripture, go to the end and head west and you'll find it pretty quickly. We have it up here on screen. So Revelation 19 verses six through nine gives this image. And just for a little bit of context, Revelation is... Um, John is, the Lord reveals to John what eternity looks like and new heaven and new hell and, and what happens in the end times. And if anyone can tell you exactly what this means, they're lying because it's full of imagery. But this is a beautiful picture of what the bride and his groom look like. And the day of the wedding, the day that the betrothal season is ended and the groom comes to take his bride, says this, beginning in verse six. When I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like a roar of rushing waters, and like a loud peals of thunder, shouting, hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. Lord, God, I thank you so much. God, that your love for us is beyond our ability to understand, to wrap our minds or even hearts around. God, I thank you for an earthly marriage that gives a sliver of a picture of what your relationship looks like with us. God, I thank you that you are the groom that gave your life, that paid the price so that your bride could be made holy and available to you. Jesus, I pray that as we dive deep into this image, Lord, that, that there's revelation that you bring to our hearts. God, not so that we can become experts on you, God, but so that we can know you better and that we can draw into more intimate, deeper, more authentic relationship with you. And I pray that we as a church and as a body of believers, God, would, would know what it looks like to have a relationship with you and God would be able to walk in that. God, I pray that these will be your words and not mine, sharper than any double-edged sword. We pray these things in your name. Amen. You can be seated. So we're gonna, we're gonna take a deep dive into what this looks like and, and biblically what this scripture means and what it means for us as a, as a body of believers. And so this is a rabbit hole by definition. I mean, we are going down the rabbit hole. And I, uh, I had a friend that texted me last night and said, hey, how can I pray for your message uh, tomorrow? And I, my prayer was, is like, I, I just feel like it's dense and that it wouldn't be too dense, that it wouldn't be too far down the rabbit hole. And so I'm really pr praying that it gives us insight into how the Lord views us and how we're to interact with him. So what we're really gonna do is we're gonna dissect what a biblical wedding looks like. And so our first thing we're gonna look at is we're gonna look at three, pe three kind of things. The first thing we're gonna look at is the groom. Is the groom. Verse seven says, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And so um, today our focus, when we think about weddings nowadays, the, the focus 
the person of focus typically in a wedding is on who? Is on the bride, right? I looked up clips of like Bridezilla and I was like, I should show a Bridezilla clip. I was like, oh, none of those are appropriate for church. I can't do that. But it's the, typically the focus is on the bride, but biblically and in a Jewish wedding, the focus was on the groom. And so as scripture says this, and it says the wedding of the lamb has come, the lamb being um, the groom and not the bride and saying his bride has made herself ready. And we know that this lamb that has been slain is, is Jesus, is Christ. And so we see this in Revelation. This is consistent that when John sees when, when, when God reveals to him in Revelation what eternity and what end times look like, when he sees Christ, when he sees the Messiah, he sees it as a lamb that had been slain, literally biblically a, a, that had been pierced for our transgressions, the, this lamb that opens these scrolls. And, and there's all these imagery. And, and when it uses these images, it says like. It says it looks like this. It doesn't mean that when they see the throne room that God's eyes are fire. Or that there, that there's, that it's literally made of jewels. I've had this conversation with my ten-year-old, but what it really means is, it's these precious things that John doesn't know how to describe. He can't quite articulate what he's seen, and he's using the most precious things on earth to be able to describe it. We see that here, even in the scripture. It says, "When I heard what sounded like a great multitude, what sounded like a roar of rushing waters, what sounded like peals of thunder." It doesn't mean that that's what it was. It's just what it sounded like to him. But when we see the lamb that had been slain, it's not that way. That is what he sees, and that's how we see the Christ. And this isn't the first time that Jesus has been uh, called this, uh, the lamb. We sing about it on, on Sunday mornings. We sing, our God is a lamb, a lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. His blood breaks the chains. That's what it does. Yeah, Amen. I'll do a solo next. <clears throat> but this is significant imagery. Uh, John the Baptist says this. And John, and early in John, in John chapter three, um, John the Baptist who was sent to prepare a way for the Lord. What's happening in this time is that John is baptizing people and Jesus comes onto the scene and Jesus is baptized. And then Jesus began baptizing people. And so John's followers come to him and say, hey, that Jesus is, is, everyone's going to him and not you. We, you know, he's taken all of our people and they don't quite get it. And John says this in John 3, John the Baptist says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he appears or when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must be greater and I must become less. So when we think about this groom, and if we're, we're looking at this Jewish and this historic and this biblical wedding, um, it's more involved than just having a bride and a groom. So first and foremost, you have to understand that no good Jewish father would leave his teenage son the job of picking a bride, right? No one would be that dumb to let their teenager choose who they're going to be married to in the rest of their life. But, and so the, the, the bride, uh, the groom doesn't choose his bride, but the father chooses the bride. And so Jesus talks again and again about his father. So the first thing I want you to understand when we think about the groom and we think about this wedding party is that you are chosen. Is that when the father set out to choose a bride for his son, he chose us. And that's a powerful truth is that you are chosen. And we can let 
that theologians argue over the elect and the non-elect and Calvinism and all that sort of thing. But what you need to understand is that when God looked at your life and he looked at you and he looked at us, that we were chosen by God to be the bride. And that is a powerful truth. That's a powerful truth. And, and not only that, but, but historically, when a father chooses a bride for his son, a father has to pay a price. That it's almost like he's purchasing a bride for his son. It's the dowry. And so do you understand that we, we talk about eternity and kingdom and us being the bride and him being the groom, that he paid for us, that the father paid the price for us to be the bride, that he sent his son to lay down his life, to pour out his blood so that we could be purchased as the bride. And so this, this idea of the father and the cost of our lives and the cost of us being in relationship with him is powerful. And so we sang it this morning, for God so loved the world, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's your dowry being paid. That's the father paying the price for the bride, that you were chosen, that you were paid for, that this isn't haphazard, that this isn't a 20-something-year-old people being in love, making a rash choice. And literally, thank God that 20-something-year-olds do that because Shay married me. After three months, we were engaged for three months, and she said she would marry me. I was like, really? All right, let's do it. So 10 months later, we were married. So we all make foolish decisions. Some more foolish than others. But with the kingdom, the father chooses the bride and he chose us and the, the father pays the price and he paid the price for us. So not only when we think about the groom, not only is there the father of the groom, which in a wedding nowadays is the least important person. The father of bride at least gives his bride away but the father of the groom, I've never been the father of a groom. I will one day, maybe, if my boys get married. I don't think they do anything. Dad, did you do anything for our wedding? There you go. <laughs> Perfect. The rehearsal dinner. Oh, come on. That's not that bad. They pay for the rehearsal dinner at Joe's Crab Shack. Exactly. So the second thing is, so it's not only the father of the groom. The second person that's important to the groom is the best man. Did you know that a best man is a biblical concept? Biblically, it's called the friend of the groom or the advocate for the groom. And so uh, the groom has a best man. Has anyone ever been a best man? There you go. I've never been a best man. I don't know if that says something about me. I've been a... I've been a groomsman, but never a best man. My brother got married and he didn't have like a, he got married in Turkey and it was like, you know, he and his bride and a close family in Turkey. So I didn't even go, but maybe he would have chosen me for a best man. So if anyone's looking for a best man, I'm your guy. I've never done it before. So, but the most important thing, and probably the reason that I was never chosen as a best man is the best man is not the center of attention, Right? The best man isn't the one who gets the focus. The focus is on the groom and on the bride, not on the best man. The best man is a helper. And I've done weddings before, and I always tell the best man, if they ever want to like play a trick or a gag, I tell those groomsmen before the wedding, I said, don't you do it. Don't be, it's not your time to be funny. This isn't your moment. You just stand there. Don't like, like loosen your knees so you don't fall over, and you just look handsome, 
and keep your trap shut and don't do anything funny because you're not the center of attention, right? Back to John 3 and this same example of where uh, we're looking at where John the Baptist talks about this. He says, the bride belongs to the groom. The friend who attends to the groom, the best man, waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the groom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. And so when we think about a biblical wedding, the friend of the groom, he had a job and it wasn't just to plan the bachelor party or to stand there and look handsome, but the best man had a, a job biblically and his job was to help the bride during the betrothal season. So when he's an advocate, he's a helper to the groom. He helps his, he, he's the best man. He helps the groom by attending to the bride during this betrothal season. He helps with preparation. He assists her with anything that she needs. And he is an advocate for the groom during that betrothal preparation season. And so when we think about this, the best man biblically, as we think here today, and we are in the betrothal season, the best man today is who? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. Jesus says this in John 14, same same chapter. He says, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the father, the father of the groom, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be with you. And that the, the, The best man, the friend of the groom, is the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus left, he says, I am leaving during this betrothal season, and I'm sending a helper. I'm sending an advocate to help prepare you, to help be your advocate, to help serve you. And that's what happens on Sunday mornings. That's why we come into this room and where we gather in the name of Jesus Christ that we are in his midst and his Holy Spirit is leading and guiding and shaping our time together. It's that what the helper of the groom is really doing is it's preparing the bride. He's preparing us. He's making us new. As scripture said, he's getting her ready with these fine linens and his promise to the church. And then finally, the last part of the groom is the groom himself. Is that he also has a job and a focus during the betrothal season. It's not just to stay out of the way. It's not to help give advice on flowers whenever the bride asks, but he has a job and his job biblically is to, to prepare a room at his father's house. Is that as soon as the betrothal season begins, the groom begins to, to prepare and build an add-on to his father's house. Because when he goes to take his bride, he brings her back home and they live in the father's house and they live there together. So he begins building, begins preparing begins making a space to bring his bride home to. John 14, Jesus says this, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you and that I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. He said, right now, the Lord is literally in the kingdom of heaven, preparing a place to bring his bride. He says, I'm going, and I'm gonna prepare a place for you and that I will come back and get you and I will bring you there. On the day of the wedding, whenever the Lord decides, whenever the groom decides, it's not for the bride to know, 
It's not for the bride to be worried about. The bride is to be ready. And on the day of the wedding, the groom will leave his house. He will go and he will get his bride and bring his bride home to the place that he's prepared. Amen. Right? And amen. How powerful is that? Speaking of, that moment that the groom leaves to go get his bride is known as the processional. If, you do, if you've ever been in a wedding, if you've ever been married, there's a processional. It's a time where the bridesmaids and the groomsmen and the best man and the maid of honor and the bride is brought and, and we have this processional. Did you know that that is a biblical kingdom concept? This processional of walking down the aisle for the moment for the groom to come and take his bride? And so after the season of betrothal, that is when that happens. And it's literally a march from the father's house to the bride's house to take her home. And this is the, the wedding party. And this is the time that happens. And they follow behind the groom. And they sing songs and celebration and joy. And they blow trumpets. And the groom goes and he gets his bride and he takes her home. If, if you've ever been in a wedding, did y'all's wedding, did anyone's wedding do like the thing where you dance down the aisle with the, you know, the wedding party, they like dance. It was on the office, no? Yeah, but it's like before where they dance and they down. I always think that's so stupid. That's so stupid. So I'm glad no one did that. But that's actually biblical. That's actually biblical. That that's more of what the kingdom of heaven is gonna look like when the groom comes for his bride rather than the one step, other step, other step to try to keep straight, to smile. That is this, it is this celebration when the groom is coming to take his bride and to take it for himself. And so when the, the groom that comes to the altar to receive his bride, and, and when you think about that, when the groom comes to the altar and receives his bride, who does he receive the bride from? From the, from the father of the bride, right? There's that moment at the altar where the, the father of the bride walks her up and he steps aside and the groom takes his bride and takes her up those last few steps. It's this image and it's this symbol. Verse six here for the processional, it says, then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like a roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder shouting, hallelujah, for the Lord God almighty reigns. But this processional is different. Is that biblically, when we look in Revelation, it is more than just walking down the aisle. That, that there's a war that's waged. If you read on a few verses, it says this, when the, when the groom comes to take his bride. This is what John sees. He says, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on the heads of many crowns. He has a name written on them that no one knows, but he himself he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven are following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury and the wrath of God Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I mean, I got a tux from Men's Warehouse, right, when I got married, and he comes in riding on a white horse with a robe dipped in blood, with a host of heavenly angels riding 
to wage war against who has the bride. That, I think that should make you understand the depth of what it means to be the bride is that he fights for us. And that's what it looks like when the groom comes down the aisle. It's not just people marching in nice and smiling. It's the, it's the groom coming in to take his bride. Verse nine, it says, then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. And he added, those are the true words of God. And so Paul gets his front row seat to this wedding banquet. And so he comes and he takes his bride, he brings her back home. And traditionally there's a wedding feast. There's a feast and and they slay a fattened calf and they celebrate and they serve wine. And we do that now. We have receptions now after the weddings and and they're really fun and they're elaborate and some are fancier than others. uh, and, And people go into debt to pay for their daughter's wedding. I hope that's not us, Shay. But, but people go all out for these wedding receptions. And my favorite wedding that I ever went to is I went to a Jewish wedding. And it was the fanciest, nicest wedding I've ever been to. And they do all these cool traditions. They put them on the chair and they raise them up. But man, it is the nicest food I've ever eaten. I was like 14 years old and I had a five-course meal. And I was like, I don't even know it. Like they would bring me stuff and I wouldn't even know how to eat. Whatever it was, it was eaten. But it was this really fancy meal. And I'll always remember that wedding I went to. Ours was fancy. We had fajitas and we celebrated and have fun. We had a margarita machine. And by the time we, Shay and I got done with pictures to have a margarita, it was, they were gone. And my brother had a picture. That's a whole other thing. That's on my brother, Martin K. But we celebrate. We had these moments in these feasts where we celebrate the bride and the groom and the groom bringing his bride home. And this is a thread, again, throughout scripture. Jesus' first miracle was what? Was a wedding at Cana. And he, he multiplied the wine and he, he turned water to wine. And he said, the best wine for last, right? It's the last moment of Jesus. This is when Jesus started his ministry was at a wedding, turning water to wine, his first miracle. And the last thing he did with his disciples was have the last supper, and to break bread and to pour wine and say, do this in remembrance of me. And Jesus said this, Matthew 29, he says, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. He's talking about the moment that he brings his bride home. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the wedding, about taking his bride home. So we, we look and we see this idea of this groom and why the groom is so important and the father of the groom and the best man. And we see the processional and what that means biblically. And then finally, we get this glimpse and we look at the bride. Revelation 19, seven and eight says, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come for his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean was given for her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Traditionally, during the betrothal season, the bride spends that time preparing herself for the groom to come. She's waiting, she's anticipating, she's getting ready for the moment that he's gonna come take her. There's not a date, there's not a day that's known, they haven't set it out, and he's waiting, and and she is waiting and getting ready. And what she begins to do is she begins to create what they call a hope chest or a dowry chest. 
And it's, it's a mobile chest. And she begins to fill it with fine linens. She puts expensive things in there. Um, she puts a special dress or jewelry or fine china or precious items. She begins to fill in this chest. So I ask you, what are you taking to heaven? When that day comes, what are you bringing with you? Are you, are you bringing your GameStop stock? Are you bringing your reputation? Are you taking your job? Are you bringing your family? What is it when that moment comes? What are you putting into that hope chest? Because if you are putting those things in, rust and moths will take and steal that from you and they will open that thing up and it will be empty. There will be nothing in there. Is it what we're storing up? Are we storing up treasures in heaven? When, we, when it looks at these fine linens standing for the righteous acts of God's holy people, what is it that you're putting in there? Biblically, it says, verse eight, it says, fine linen, bright and clean, was given for her to wear. This idea of these righteousness, these acts of God's people, this means living out your faith. This doesn't mean checking a box that I've been to church, that I've read my Bible, that I've done the Bible study, all these sort of things. And those are good, but it is walking by faith. It is living a life of faith. It's giving your life to Christ. It's being a vessel emptied for the spirit to fill up. That that's what it looks like to prepare for that moment as the bride. We as a church, take it beyond you and take it to us. It's been, why are we here? Why are we meeting? Why are we in this YMCA? Why do we gather in homes? Why do we have student ministry and vessel kids? Why? It's because we are filling that hope chest as we're preparing and the Holy Spirit is getting us ready for the day for the groom to come and take us. Scripture calls it storing away treasures in heaven and do not confuse it with self-righteousness. It's about humbling yourself living a life that is given to a Savior, holy, pleasing to Him. I'm going to invite the worship team back up, and we're going to close with worship. I want you to know the truth is, is that when we offer ourselves as living vessels, it is putting righteousness into that chest. It is allowing God to fill us. When He talks about fine linen being bright and clean, it's us being made whole and pure and righteous and forgiven and new is allowing the Lord to do that to us, the Holy Spirit to live through our lives. So when we talk about an upward relationship with God, that's what we're talking about. It's talking about seeing ourselves as the bride, knowing that the groom loves us, that has paid the price, that's given his life for us, not so that we can waste time during the betrothal season, so that we can live for him and we can be a bride that is ready for that moment that he's, he's come to take us. Let's stand and I'm gonna read this scripture again and I'm gonna pray for us and then let's worship. Revelation 19. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like a roar of rushing waters like a loud peal of thunder, shouting hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. 
Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given for her to wear. For fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. Thank you for joining us this morning for our service. We are publishing content throughout the week for Church at Home through our social media and website. For more information, visit www.vessel.church.